0: So, welcome to new Books and Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Oli Mould, who's a lecturer in human geography at Royal Holloway at the University of London, about his new book, Against Creativity, uh, which is published by Verso in 2018. So, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hello. We really need this book right now, um, as you know, the kind of the march of creative industries of uh, transforming our places, giving us apparently new jobs, you know, sort of gathers pace. Um, in some ways, many of these things seem to be kind of settled 10 years ago. And yet, you know, um, they, they still sort of zombie-like stagger on. And the book, I think, is a, you know, perfectly timed kind of intervention um, on this. Uh, and I guess it's it's something that in some ways we almost don't need to put into context uh, but it would be good to start with with i guess the question of of where the book has come from and, and and to what extent it's you know something that you've been working on for a long time or it's something that you felt was just needed kind of right now
1: yeah i mean the former i think uh, as you know i've been involved in the policy realm and the academic realm i guess for yeah just a decade or so and over that decade it's become increasingly obvious that the term creativity has you know lost a lot of its um a lot of its power a lot of what it actually means to you know create something from nothing and um it's been used by governments and businesses and teachers and all sorts of different institutions for their own gain to grow them in, in a particular way um, devoid of any sense of you know, social justice, or um, trying to iron out problems, or just anything that goes against that mantra of you know more growth—be that economic growth, be that uh, business growth, growth of you know your own um, self-worth, whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's it's one of these terms which has lost any any validity, any meaning, and it's become very vacuous. And just uh, more than that, really, it's been—I mean. Weaponized is perhaps too strong, but it but it's been used as a veneer as to, to mobilise a whole set of, I guess, neoliberal practices which are essentially creating more of the same problems, um, you know, precarity and justice and even you know the climate problems as well. So um, yeah, it's about time I think that we we radically redefine what it means to be creative, and that's really what the uh, book is to It's interesting. The do. book
0: it doesn't really start with a sort of you know old school. The Oxford English Dictionary defines creativity as, but rather it tries to give us a, a sense a definition of creativity that's about power and about you know kind of power relationships, particularly actually in the context of, of contemporary capitalism so it'd be be nice to kind of get a sense of I suppose how you pin down creativity in this con- context of of capital and power
1: yeah, so my the lineage in the book is is one that i've yes like you say, I tried to get at the political uh articulation of creativity now you know I deliberately didn't steer into the artistic world of art history and everything else because it's a uh, that would have been a very different argument so for me the idea of creativity is one that you can trace in terms of creating new modes of living new societies new mindsets to me that is a inherently political act um because it requires changing the way people think um so so yeah so i would really try to look back at the ways in which creativity has been thought in those particular ways, you know, going right the way back to, uh, you know, the the deities of of the ancient world and how they, you know, just brought the world into being by sort of thinking it right the way through to the, the, the commons and the diggers and the levelers and thinking about how we can create a new common wealth by acting together right the way through to, you know, the ways in which the, the modern interpretations of creativity have been uh, thought about in terms of like i said economic growth and, and thinking about uh, how all means of production now can be thought to be creative because they are inherently you know weightless or not emanating from a de-industrialized world or the new knowledge economy that sort of came about in the 80s and the 90s so so yeah so really this version of Creativity has been commandeered by a capitalist narrative, really to um, direct everybody's working life, their you know their home life, their, how they play, how they interact, to saying, well, look, how can you do that in order to create more stuff? How can you do that to create new things, new ideas, new new ways of operating that can feed the market that can. Be translated into economic growth because that's what we need to do. We need to grow the world. We need to grow our financial lives, and we can only do that by you know all being creative. But as you know, as the book details, that is a very, very prescribed, very particular view of creativity—one that is you know about the individual, about the lack of any kind of collective thinking, and one that is very about you know the privatization of the creative mindset. And it also has you know
0: quite obvious negative consequences. I mean, you know we. So we're recording this uh, just just after a, another major new report on climate change and the kind of you know, limits of growth. But but this, you know, sort of plays out on an individual level as well. And one of the things that the book tackles quite early on is, is the, I guess, the sort of distance between the promise of being creative. You know, you mentioned, you know, bringing new worlds into being and actually the reality of the slog of sort of being a creative worker, being precarious um and, and and you sort of contrast that you know precarity with with a maybe a more idealized true vision of uh, of creative work and and that that contrast struck me as being something that was was a really sort of interesting frame um to hear more about
1: yeah so it's funny because I've in other discussions I've had with this people have been arguing oh well you know how why are artists not creative well, if you're working in the computer games industry why you know why is that not creative you know i know plenty of people in these industries and yet they are incredibly creative people. I'm not denying that what i what I'm trying to argue is that their skills are being directed towards creating more of the same capitalist problems that we see so you know just by simply sort of engaging in the you know the wage labor process or engaging in creating a new computer game which you know is is fulfilling a gap in the market that they're they're feeding this system, and the work you know the the mantra of creative work is really completely uh sold in that way so you know it's it's it actually riffs on thatcher's enterprising self you know this idea that we can all just release our inner creative entrepreneur and you know the economy and society will do, will do wonderful things if we all just sort of look into ourselves and find that really great idea and put it down on paper or put it to song or put it on, the, on a computer code and everything will be brilliant you can sell it and become a billionaire now this is you know that's for some people but these are still creative people so what the arguments i've made is well, what would happen if we if we didn't have those things kind of shoved through the wage labor or the market you know if we had sculptors and computer game people and uh, you know artists and academics all creating something outside of that system what would it look like a commons or uh, a, a, a more just way of consuming these things you know things that are far more democratically organized perhaps these um can these better things better ways of organizing society at least in my view can come about through the creative work of all these different people but as our, as it is currently uh you know dictated to the, the the energies of these people the creative energies of these people are just being kind of funneled into creating more of the same so that's what i'm making the distinction let's let's see if we you know ask the question what if we funnel those energies into creating something which is far more equitable and that's really what i was trying to get at in that in that particular chapter
0: yeah along with this really interesting idea that, that this term i quite liked well l- liked is probably probably not the right word but this, this kind of idea about anti-social creativity and, and quite unusually actually you draw on on some examples from public service provision uh, you know you've mentioned there you know kind of artists computer games etc as being what we think of as, I guess, the kind of normal creative work, but it was really interesting to have a, uh, an example of, of, of healthcare and, and health service provision as a as a kind of warning about antisocial
1: creativity. Yeah, that's right. It's, I mean, it's one of the um, mantras that you always hear about creative work is, I mean, particularly going to you know the the writings of people like Richard Florida and others it's that creative people are really passionate about their work and they work outside of their normal working hours and they you know they stay in the office till really late at night if they have a really great idea or you know they might work at the weekends or they're looking around the city for inspiration to feed into their next project and it struck me as you know, seeing the work of nurses and fire, um, firemen and women and, and police officers and just looking the thinking, well, these, are the, these people are doing exactly the same sort of thing, in that they are working extended hours, they are passionate about what they are doing, and they are creating – well, their work is going towards creating essentially a public good, a public sort of realm that is consumed without that – or at least in terms of the NHS – without that sort of marketized logic, although, you know, the arguments are that the NHS has become increasingly marketized in that way. Um, but that not that you know, to me, public services are doing exactly the same emotional work as these creative people. You know, they they are invested in their in in a in a in a view of life which they believe to be, you know, just and radical and everything else in terms of just, you know, the public consumption. And, you know, the last few the last 12 months, when I was writing the book, you know, Grenfell happened and there was various scandals around the NHS. And I mean, Grenfell in particular, you looked at the, the images of these these firemen and women just kind of slouched on the grass, just within, an, you know, clearly they've been working, in inverted commas, you know, for the last 24 hours straight, whatever it is. And they were just exhausted and they just, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow, look at all these heroes, look at these amazing people. And then what happens? They get, you know, they, they get refused a 1% pay rise, or whatever it is. And it's just that the narratives just didn't fit. So why is it that we're, we're calling these people, as in, you know, the kind of creative class, why are we calling them creative and not these other people who are doing exactly the same kinds of work, but they're trying to create an entirely different, well, not entirely different, but a, a public way of life, which is slowly being eroded.
0: This comes up as, as well, I guess, as a series of sort of critical Oppositions or critical alternatives come through through the book, and you know we, we've been talking about healthcare provision. Um, but in in the second chapter, you, you sort of expand on that to to not just think about you know what kind of work we should think of as creative, but what sort of bodies um, we should be thinking of as as creative, and and, and in some ways, you know, being allowed or, or not allowed to be creative. And this has come up a, a bit in the literature already about you know the need to be kind of like. Um, young and you know sort of capable of long hours etc but but you draw on i I think a set of literature a set of themes that has really been marginalized or or perhaps missed actually in in discussions of creative work which is around questions of um differently abled or or disabled bodies and it it, it was a kind of fascinating take actually around uh, both the sort of barriers to being creative but the kinds of creativity that uh, foreground in these these kinds of bodies opens up
1: mm. yes it's i mean it's an interesting on uh you know deeply personal to me and my family, but I think that there's a great deal of um utility social utility to be gained by by connecting with disabled people in far more empathetic ways, and you know th- these people are, have, are experiencing worlds be that through you know the different wirings of their senses, or their, the way that their brains work. You know, in the book, I talk about um, synesthesia and deafness and blindness, and the kinds of worlds that these people are experiencing are kind of very different to the ones in which, you know, an kind of event comes to normal people kind of experience. And I think, I think that it those that's creative. That is a world which is on the margins, but it's it's a different kind of world and a world which, you know, because of the nature of the injustices and the marginalization that disabled people experience, worlds that are very much outside of the, you know, the normal or the center, but they're worlds in which contain a great deal of solutions to the contemporary problem. So, you know, I talk about the blind um, architect, Chris Downey, and, you know, he asked a very poignant question, what would it be like if we designed cities with the blind in mind? And he sort of says, you know, they'd be more walkable they'd be you know you'd, you'd encourage more interaction um pavements would be wider you know no cars and these are exactly the kinds of cities that people are yearning for but people don't really know how to do it properly so why don't we speak to these people why don't we engage with these people to sort of say okay great well how do we do that another example sorry there's one more there's another example in I didn't write about in the book primarily because I saw it afterwards but um there's a group of, uh, there's a university in the States and they have a an entirely deaf campus and they design their buildings so that, you know, for example, there are no stairs anywhere so people don't have to look at their feet so they can look at each other when they're signing because, you know, to sign, you need to see what the other person's doing. They're very large rooms so you can stand at either end and sign. So, you know, this is couched in this rhetoric of like, well, let's, of language. like, well, Why do we call it hearing loss? Why don't we call it deaf gain? So, yeah, for me, these disabled bodies are part of worlds which I think offer not all, but some solutions to the current problems we see.
0: Well, they're sort of set against the backdrop of worlds that are, I guess, increasingly kind of uh, unsupportive or, or or hostile. You, you talk in, in the book quite, quite a lot about um, austerity and the kind of um, – I suppose, kind of creative nature um, of austerity that remakes the public sector, you know, that kind of remakes the relationship between individuals and um, and capital. And, and it struck me as, as a kind of accelerating uh, process almost that, you know, normally we'd be thinking of as kind of, you know, creativity as something that would solve problems. But actually, you know, with um, austerity, it's... Um, an idea that really kind of presents even more problems for people's day-to-day life and their kind of everyday experience of both, you know, work and and the public realm.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, creative, creativity and austerity, I think are a line somewhere they go hand in glove. And um, I think that it's, it, it was interesting because I situated around David Cameron when he talked about the big society. And when I heard that back in 2010, was it, or 2012, and it very much was like, well, great. You know, let's have all this community stuff. Let's have all this community engagement, and let's get neighbourhoods, you know, um, doing the Meals and Wheels, or let's get school children into sort of really enliven the library setting. But it was like, well, what you're doing is you're just taking away. That gives you an excuse to retract those public services, and therefore, you know, feed into that mantra of the small state, which is very much, you know, the, the way in which capitalist state seem to be going so it it was it was a veneer of you know community focused creativity but really what it was all it was doing was just putting a sort of sh- that you know uh, a sheen on, on what was essentially you know decreasing uh public services and, and you know austerity so um yeah it, it to me they're in trying to encourage creativity but what they're really doing is just saying well look the, all the energies that you have that would have been directed towards, you know, enjoying yourself, having a leisure life, or you know, leisure time, and having a, you know, a, you know, a good time outside of work. You now have to redirect that energy into making sure that your neighbours, or who are perhaps infirm or whatever, have their meals, or you're making sure that, um, you know, your elderly relative who's had their carer taken away um who you know, the your elderly relative might have dementia and their carer has, has lost their job to austerity, you now have to be the person that looks after them. But it's okay. You can call themselves a Dementia Carer Day or something. And and it and that's that to me is very, very problematic because it's just not allowing uh sort of society's lives to flourish outside of that capitalist system. So yeah, so austerity for me is is it's been mobilized using this kind of creativity language there or thereabouts, but it's, again, it's just creating more of the same problems.
0: Yeah. It it was really interesting because as I say, usually that moment would be, you know, a series of inspiring alternatives through creativity, but, but you're, you know, you you sort of suggest we should be very cautious actually about this. And and it comes up much later on in the book as well. Uh, I think, um, we 'll leave aside the kind of discussion of tech maybe till till the end of the podcast, but um I think there's a there 's a line through this that connects up this idea about a creative city um, and the idea of of art washing particular places as well where you know we think of creative cities as oh that 's great you know everywhere should be creative you know our cities should be you know kind of spaces for creativity, but actually much as with you know the kind of um, creative power of austerity to to destroy the public realm similarly you, you tell a story about the creative city uh being something we should be really cautious about
1: yes i mean as a geographer and um, you know it's the 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 spatial manifestation of the creative rhetoric is you know to me as obviously most um obvious in the urban environment and it's been going on since the creative city was coined i guess back in 95 um and art washing has become this this term which has been banded around um the history of which you know stems to some of the um the sponsorship of some of london's or the uk's cultural institutions by oil companies so the bp for example sponsoring the tate and people were particularly environmental lobbyists were saying well look, you're you're using your sponsorship of the tate to you know, soften your hard image of a polluting company. And it was called art washing. It was this idea that, you know, you're painting this sort of, you know, nice, fluffy, socially engaged I- ideal on, on the face of what is essentially still kind of planet-destroying, oil-refining corporations. And that term has been utilised now to talk about the creative city of the last few years, which sees... Um, in the UK, at least, um, uh, local councils, particularly in London, co- uh, combining with or cozying up with developers who, of course, have the financial cloud to build new housing estates, new retail parks, and everything else because councils don't have the money because of austerity, obviously. So, um, and what they do is they, uh, you know, they use artistic practices and creative creative people, in inverted commas again, to uh, sell the place or to give it a, a veneer of kitsch cool created bohemian living all the while uh, two things are happening first of all that those artists themselves are being exploited you know they're kind of getting pushed out of the places that they've been given free space for or very cheap rent for um, and secondly, the, you know the local residents are being displaced, and they're just you know these places are being redeveloped and or and all completely destroyed, so a new sort of professional class can move in. It's, it's essentially a sort of manifestation or the most. Uh, recent manifestation of a gentrifying process, which you know has been going on for, for donkey's years. So it's this new veneer. It's again, it's that idea that it's just been used as a veneer, just to kind of carry on the same processes, give it a new kind of 21st century spin with hipsters and, and you know artisan coffee shops and all this sort of stuff. But it's just the same stuff happening over and over again. So yes, it's been used. This term artwashing has been used, and so it's interesting because the creative city idea. You don't really hear that term much anymore in policy realms, but it, it's, kind of, it's kind of bled through into everything that's done now. There's, the smart city is the new kind of um, thing that people are trying to enact. But even within that, you've got this idea of creative tech and everything kind of saying, well, you know, it's the it, whole thing is designed to encourage creativity. And the whole city, like you say, just has to be creative. And it's, it's almost taken for granted. It's the new urban anti. That, um, you, know, you have to be creative that's just a given um you know along the particular lines that they want you to so yeah artwashing is this term which has really been used to to uh flag this quite prob you know really really problematic process and it's not just artists you know you've got there are I cite some of the heather mclean's works sort of saying you know it's feminist communities they're being co-opted in the same kind of way and it yeah it's, it's problematic it's a real problem and cities are being hollowed out because of it i
0: mean it, it, it's funny you mentioned tech because that um it it is you know the kind of uh final i suppose area of ambivalence or or caution because you know a lot of this stuff um is bound up with the new tech economy how we think about the creative industries is you know inseparable in some ways from sharing economies and um, new modes of of kind of tech and there's always this kind of idea that somehow tech will will sort of solve these questions and will, will kind of save us and you know um new forms of sharing are delivering, you know, cheaper goods or you know, making kind of cities more functional stuff. But actually, you know, there are really serious questions about the extent to which tech is doing the job of capitalism in terms of, you know, creating new markets for more types of exploitation and more, you know, kind of uh, problematic practices, even as it's presented as kind of neutral, dispassionate, you know, it's just the algorithm you know it's not human bias etc and and that was really um interesting in terms of the kind of antidote to uh, celebrations of tech as being uh, something that will save
1: us yes i mean i suppose the thing to say is i'm i'm not new to this this body of literature there's been some really fantastic work i mean zayat tufekis work in the states i think has been the forerunner of this I quote some of her stuff um, but no, you're right. And it's this the neutrality of tech, which I think is being, which is banded about is, oh, you know, these algorithms, they're, they're unbiased. And, you know, they can, you know, neutrally sort out the world in in a very fair and kind of autonomous, you know, in brackets, and therefore neoliberal kind of way. But they don't have this, you know, this is just, it's, it's rubbish. You know, there, there's this neutrality isn't just not there the biases are embedded in the system that, that created it and it's funny you mentioned that you know silicon valley is it's always been the go-to i mean back in the when the creative industries were first coined back in new labor's day it was all done via task force that was sent over to the states you know to silicon valley and to hollywood to sort of say well you were making loads of money through ip how do we replicate that in a uk context so it was there at the very beginning of the creative industries and it's you know it's right here now So. Um, but yeah, the these what gets me and funnily enough, when I was writing the chapter, Blade Runner 2049, you know, 2049 came out and I went to go and see that at the cinema and it was just one of the most depressing times. I was writing about all this tech and taking over the world and everything. It was it was really quite harrowing uh, to write it. But what do I was what I was witnessing and when I was researching this stuff, it's like, well, all these algorithms, they're being presented as neutral, but what they're doing is they're infecting our own Behavior and we are becoming algorithmic. And you know, I don't know about you, but when you check your phone, it's like, well, I check this first, and then this first, and then this first. You know, and it's and it, you know, it it's infesting the way that we operate. And I don't think that we're wired to be that way. And and we're causing it's causing mental health problems. It's causing loneliness and all these things we hear about in the news. And um, what what I think Silicon Valley does is it it allows us. It it offers us the world. You know. To plug in, it says "plug in and the world be better," but it doesn't let us plug out. And I think that we need to create tech systems, which I'm not denying are you know have their utility and have their place, and they are you know fantastic at um, creating new kind of democratic systems and allowing people with disabilities to connect with other people and all sorts of things. They have their social utility, but they don't have the ability to plug out. You know, why we should be creating systems that allow us to plug out as easily as you can plug in or to you know to um uh, reverse to the real world if you like in inverted commas as easy as we can kind of plug into this virtual world and i think that's not happening and so for me the tech uh, industry and the sharing economy is eroding our ability to to be human and i think it's kind of just you know like i say in the book it's sort of uh making what it means to be human just another line of code which is obviously incredibly problematic
0: i mean the the book ends with a sort of optimistic and and kind of hopeful note you know sort of brings jfk into dialogue with with alice in wonderland you know and kind of like sets the task of sort of believing in in impossible worlds and it'd be interesting to to sort of hear i guess the kind of the sense of how you think we can do that and you know how that um more productive and world creating kind of creativity can be foregrounded against the sort of mundane or, or anti social creativity that um, that we have now.
1: I mean, I think it boils down to the question: What is it that we want to create? I mean, creativity for me is about you know creating something that propels us to better and more just world, worlds that just currently do not yet exist. And so I'm taking my line here from Henri Lefebvre, who's that sort of famous French um, philosopher who talked about all sorts of things. But so, yeah, so the question for me is what is it that we want to create? And I don't think that question is being asked in in the creativity discourse that we are currently, um, you know, bombarded with. So if we want to create more of the same problems that capitalism has put us in and, you know, with the report that you mentioned that came out the other day you know it gives us 12 years before we have an end of an ad that to me that just doesn't seem like a viable option anymore you know so what is it that we want to create we and the answer to that question is very very important so if we want to create a common world a world in common that we can where you know people are far more equal is a fairer more just society which you know we all want to be pushing towards then we need to start thinking creatively about how we create those worlds. We need to think about how we can start wrenching away really talented and creative people away from this market-driven capitalist discourse into, into creating systems which are sustainable, which are environmentally um, sound and you know are, don't replicate gentrifying, precarious enabling systems. So, you know, engineering, for example, climate engineering you know these are some of the most creative um ideas out there i was looking at one the other day about um these places in canada that suck co2 out of the air and create a, a create a new fuel that is kind of carbon neutral but it's just you know these are fantastic creative ideas and creative processes um how could we take that and and put it in the hands of the people how can we take that and put it and make it a more commonly uh available technology and how can we ensure that it maintains its democratic involvement now yeah those those are the questions which i think are really important as we go forward in you know in the as we charge towards this sort of climate catastrophe which we seem to be heading towards so yeah what is it that we want to create and for me the answer to that is uh, a world that doesn't have capitalism at its as its driving force a, a more common world in which Everybody has the opportunity to live a sustainable and fulfilling life.
0: And is that the kind of thing you're going to be writing about next? Or, I mean, it, to an extent, this is your sort of second book around kind of questions of creativity. And is it um, <laughs> have you have you had quite enough about being creative about creativity? Or, um... uh,
1: I don't, I don't know. I think, well, funny enough, the, the there is a the, the. The next book is in is in progress. Um, I think I mentioned it before, and I had I kind of took a hiatus from it to write this book. I think it was kind of you can think about these things in trilogies, I guess, but the um, this seemed to be like a sort of uh, the important book that needed to be written in order to foreground this next book, which is about the seven ethics. You know, the seven ethics of the commons, and you know, I I do I, I have I think there are some really important mindsets that we can. Um, Enact that certain types of resources which we can all benefit from, which um, allow us to uh, realise these, you know, impossible worlds. You know, you know. I won't go into detail, but because they're fairly kind of rooted in theoretical ideas. But you know, things like being uh, collective, you know, being empathetic, even things like you know, thinking about love radically. You know, these are the sorts of things which we're going to need to. Uh, think about and um enact in order to create this this new anti-capitalist or post-capitalist um more just world so yeah it's it's uh it's on the horizon it's um, something which i'm trying to um write next and um yeah we'll, we'll see where that goes